but a brilliant single mum who's aggravatingly mindful, annoyingly emotionally open. I say all those things because she's deprived me of a good four chapters of an autobiography of pain, you know. <laughs> you know, everyone else yes. has got something. You're more balanced oh, than most I just people. wanted to be sent to boarding school. Hi, hello and welcome. I'm Angela Scanlon and you are listening to Thanks A Million, the podcast that chats all about thanks with the good, the great and the grateful. See what we did there? So yesterday I went to the aquarium. I know, not on my own, although I highly recommend it actually without little snotters hanging off you. It is really quite amazing. Some of it's a bit sweaty and cramped. However, the section where you get to the jellyfish is off the charts. It's like, are these imagined by some outer space alien type thing? I mean, I don't even know how to put words to them. I am going to share what is potentially one of my greatest photographs of all time. Got a little video of the jellyfish as well. It's absolutely divine. The colours, it felt like I was in space. Anyway, highly recommend the aquarium. Just to get you back in touch with nature, it has nothing to do with anything. I don't know what I'm talking about. What else did I do yesterday? Oh, I made a chilli. I made a chilli, okay? This is breaking news and I feel like it deserves some airtime here. As you know, the very odd time once I've shared a recipe on my Instagram. It's actually been one of my most popular posts. So obviously there is something in the people that follow me that maybe like something down to earth grounded and uh, simplistic. (laughs) You can just call me Jamie Oliver. So anyway, yesterday, the chilli, chorizo, or you can just put smoked paprika in if you're not interested in meat, but I love the chorizo. Uh, Sweet corn, boom, in there. Tin tomatoes, any tomatoes that you have that are looking a bit withered in the fridge, whack them in. Parsley on the top of it, but I've skipped a couple of steps. Black beans. Uh, What else? Uh, Oh yeah, stock cube in there. And I think that was pretty much it. Oh, some carrots, diced up carrots. Mix it all together. Oh, onions. (laughs) Sorry, definitely put onions in there. That's actually the very first thing to start with. Make sure they get a little bit caramelised and maybe slightly burnt on the edge just for texture. And then get a bit stewy so you still have some bite and kick to the base of it. Anyway, love it. Bit of creme fraiche, yoghurt, whatever you're into. Absolutely fabulous. (laughs) I'm not sure if that's why you're here. It's certainly not why my husband stays. Apparently, he's so mean about my cooking. Honestly, like I never, ever said I was Martha Stewart. There was no false advertising. He knew what he was signing up for. Fucking toast and eggs. He's lucky to get a chilli. So aside from my delicious culinary triumphs, there are a million things I've been grateful for lately. Crocs. Crocs. The shoes. Yeah. Plastic, rubber, whatever they are, with holes in them. I am forever grateful to whatever weird creature decided that that was a good idea in a design room. I absolutely love them flopping off my feet with the little thing around my heels with socks on. I know I I don't care what you think. I love them deeply. They now have a thing called a croc gem. This is not an ad, by the way, but they're little dingaboppers that you can put on the crocs to pimp them up your own way. Genius. Croc gems are genius. I'm sorry. And I should also say before I introduce our guest that that was recorded before I knew about. Anyway, it'll make sense in a second. 
But seriously, if you don't have them, get them. This is not an ad. Although I'm totally open for sponsorship, I don't do anything in the shoe department at the moment. <laughs> Call me with your little creepy shoes. Oh, yeah. Okay, on we go. What's on your gratitude list this week? That's what I want to know. I share these on my Instagram sometimes. Honestly, I'm always staggered by the amount of people. I think since we've cut it from three to one, sometimes in fairness, three was a bit of a reach, wasn't it? If you're having a bad day, you're like, sorry, what, three? Are you kidding me? Three things. So, uptake, good, we're happy. D says, smiles, new baby smiles, oh, the gummy ones. Meeting friends after a long time, smiles and more. Honestly, my baby at seven months it has the gummiest smile. It's actually the cutest thing you've ever seen in your life. So I'm so with you, D. Oh, Madeline writes in, getting to lie in with my kitties. I love that. Well, I, do, I, I don't have a cat. So I, I actually have never had a lie-in with a kitty. But I feel like it's something we should all do at one point or another. Serena is grateful for a sea swim this morning with my mum. Not my mum, hers. <laughs> for her 68th birthday. She's the best. My mum's not 68 and she's definitely not sea swimming. Okay, enough messing around. Let's get into it and meet our guest for this episode. Rob Rinder, MBE, is the face of ITV's Judge Rinder. You love it. Guest host of Good Morning Britain, radio host on talk radio, columnist for the Evening Standard and presenter of Rob Rinder's Interrogation Secrets, which premiered just last month. Rob is a practising criminal law barrister and in 2015 he wrote his book Rinder's Rules, a collection of real life stories of woe accompanied by legal advice and insight on how to take legal action. His new thriller, This Man, honestly, a renaissance man, The Trial, is the name of the book. It's available for pre-order and will be hitting bookshelves in June 2023. Without much further ado, let's welcome to the show Rob Rinder, MBE. So, sorry, I would like to say first off, I'm sorry slash here I am in my robe. It's been a ropey few days and I feel like it might be a compliment because I feel utterly safe with you. I don't know whether it's the judge thing or your kind eyes, but I was like, I feel Rob will be okay with, with this. Well, it is uh, my kind eyes, I yeah, think, Angela. you do have kind eyes. But this sort of idea that I'm not judging you at the same time is okay. so <laughs> misjudged on your part. <laughs> I, <laughs> okay. I, I mean, don't get me wrong, because it's sort of you and, and you have that sort of tampon advert glow about you in the old days. <laughs> as if I could sort of imagine you, right, exactly. Yeah. With a Dorothy Parker cigarette at the same time as jumping out of an aircraft going, oh, yes, um, I use this particular brand of tampon. There is also, mm-hmm. because you're wearing, uh, people can't see this, a Gloria Swanson post getting out of the bath towel situation. Yeah. But it's less, I'm waiting for my close-up, Mr. DeMille, and more sort of Coronation Street pub landlord. (laughs) I mean, it's a heady mix and you've nailed it. I feel like I'm a little bit country and then also a little bit worldly. It's it's an intoxicating mix. But yeah, it's a bit Vera Sugden in fairness. 
Yeah, or yeah, Molly Sugden, but yeah, oh, yeah Jodie Craig. But it's like sort of feel you looking up the camera, go, yeah, that Rob Rin does never come into this pub ever again. Ever again, yeah, state of a yeah. <laughs> judging me. What? Anyway, thank you for making. But me I'm feel glad safe. you feel comfortable. Well, thank I you. Do. do you know what? I think that's really nice, isn't it? I don't, like sometimes you get a compliment and it takes about a day for it to land. Yeah. You know, often uh, times I usually have immediacy of connection with how I feel with what somebody said. Yeah. And like the bad relationships I've had, you know, uh, intimate relationships is are where I can't trust what people mm. are feeling when I'm in the presence. And I need to be able to be safe enough to get it wrong. Um, yeah. And then immediately to be corrected because somebody like me does go around and can get it wrong. I need someone to go and all of my best friends will go, what the F are you talking about? What I yeah, can't okay. have, and I think what is really problematic and it's problematic in marriages and relationships of all sorts is where you think everything's fabulous and you've said the perfectly reasonable thing and everybody's having a lovely time. And then all of a sudden, five hours later or a day later, there's an atmosphere and suddenly pause goes, do you know what you said at dinner the other night? And you've been laboring under the belief, laboring. You've, you've invested in the belief. Mm -hmm. You've been walking around happy in the belief that everything was lovely. And it turned out that you'd hurt someone's feelings. Yeah. So I really like the idea. When you say um, that you feel safe, it means that we're now at a place where I can totally trust. If I've upset you, I'll advise yeah. versa. I'll go, what? Yeah. <laughs> you can't say that to me. Vera, Molly, yeah. um, no, I do feel, I think it's, it is the ultimate compliment. I would like for that to land, whether that's now or in five days time, I'm here mm -hmm. for it. So let's get right into it. Um, is there something that you have to hand that you are, are grateful for right now? Well, you know, it's funny because look, we should fess up. So we tried to do this. We should fess up. So we tried to have this conversation a few days ago, but the internet went down. My internet and, uh, went down. Well, mine did too. It was well. a bad internet day. Mm. Um, much like who knows what's going to happen, whether you have a happy day, hair day or not, once the big yeah. reveal happens. <laughs> um, but I was talking to you then from uh, the place I spend most of my time, which is my sort of office where all my books and are and trinkets and lovely things mm -hmm. and what I said to you then and I still felt um lucky to have was my pink my little pony but I had it to hand and it it, it reminds me of childhood but I wanted something tangible visceral even yeah um so like visceral Rob I know uh, 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 yeah a, a thing that you can grab and show even with people listening so I've got a ropey hairbrush here. <laughs> Sorry, ha explain I'm to me how up. that's a hairbrush. Turn it sideways. Are there bristles on it? No, they're all gone. It's like a, it's like a muscle memory of the past. <laughs> so um, I didn't think, like, I like, you know, probably lots of podcasts. People feel kind of huh? overprepared and you sort of like people tilt their sh sort of head and shrug their shoulders and go, is this person being genuine? Yeah. Or is it, you know, B1 Ollocks? Is it Bollocks? I don't staged, know. Can I say Bollocks? Yeah, yeah go yeah. for it. Staged, right. So I love my pink, my little pony. Yeah. And that's very much about childhood. And mm -hmm. no doubt, or well, I hope maybe we'll come on to that. But I just walked in here um, with my tote bag and I realised that I got to the bottom of it and I grabbed out my ropey hairbrush, which is a silver hairbrush with no bristles on it, held together by gaffer tape. And what it is, right, 
is that I am weirdly superstitious about certain things. Okay. And I have to have this. So uh, I think it was in 2003, I was doing uh, some work in Sierra Leone not long after the civil war there. And long and short of it, um, you know, this is not a podcast about international law, but, you know, always worth having a listen or a Google. Um, But at that time, what we were trying to do was to focus on what it meant to be a child soldier and how, well, that trial at the time, my head of chambers was the chief war crimes prosecutor there, how we were going to establish in, in international law, making it illegal to recruit child soldiers and what that meant, right? Now, that was the seriousness of the work. And Getting to Sierra Leone was challenging. It still remains challenging. But once you land in Freetown, um, it's on an island. And the only way of getting there was on a hydrofoil, which was quite dangerous, or a helicopter, which was also dangerous and would often crash or um, break or just not start. And the um, boarding pass that you would get was like a wooden stick. That's how serious it was. Open windows. Uh, I remember the pilot taking a swig of a... um, What's it called? You know, what do you drink scotch out of? When Stop you're... it. A flask, a hip flask. A, fla- a hip flask, a hip flask. Yeah. Literally. The whole lot. No, seriously. And um, I know I'm painting a scene, but, you know, I have people there that can corroborate all this. And I was absolutely terrified. I wasn't really then a great flyer anyway. And on the floor, this is deadly serious, I found a hairbrush that somebody had dropped out of their wherevers. And here is this silver hairbrush. And since that day, we took off and landed successfully in Freetown. And not just that, but at the time, it was a pretty uh, dangerous and complex situation on the ground. I had this hairbrush with me. And since then, and this is the deadly truth, I have had this, um, well, the remains, (laughs) this sort of whatever this is. It's it's hard to describe it. There's literally not a bristle on the hairbrush. It's taped. It looks like it dog has been chewing on it for a decade yeah Yeah, exactly that yeah yeah it's a sort of debris hairbrush yeah it has an x hairbrush i have had that in my pocket at every recording i've ever done at every serious interview i'd ever done after that happened when i came back and would do murder trials it would be unthinkable for me to go to court and not to have that in my pocket on one occasion i knew i had to do an event or i think i maybe even had to write something of it importance and um I'd left it in the studio in Manchester and I just knew there was no way that I was going to be able to write with a degree of emotional confidence and in this case the kind of um authenticity that mattered in the speech that I was going to give at a very challenging event unless I had my hairbrush and so I paid for it to be couriered down now, I want to be clear about this for anybody listening. This is seriously disordered. And any therapist, you know, worth their weight and sort of anyone with any common sense would go, yes, Robert, that's a species of OCD, right? <laughs> you need to pull yourself together. It's not a good thing. Do you know what I mean? I'm not suggesting, you know, anybody should celebrate this. It's an attachment, Rob. It's an object, but it's a superstition. Okay. And some superstitions can be kind of benign, which this is. Mm. Some can be really problematic because you are, they're not real. In other words, you are somehow connected, you're bound up to this object under the false belief that there's some species of magical thinking that in the absence of having this close to you, you're going to fail in some way. So it becomes mm. a rather toxic um 
blanket. The crutch, I suppose. Yeah, and I mean, exactly. even the state in which it's in is mm-hmm. like, and I'm not mocking it. It it, it does mock it. Sense. It's absurd. My <laughs> mates think I'm nuts. What are you talking about? <laughs> okay, fine. Well, with you, you got to go. <laughs> if I showed you that and go, can't come out for dinner with you. I've got to go home, Angela, because I've got my hairbrush. <laughs> You go, what the hell's wrong with you? <laughs> okay, fair enough. But it does have that like sense of, there's a vulnerability to it that's actually really sweet. It's like a baby's blanket that's basically a raggy fucking, like it's a, it's a, it's a hanky with holes in it, but they're deeply right. dependent on it. Yeah, and, and it's, that's, that's precisely right. You know, I, re- I remember my uh, brother used to walk around with a blankie and one day I got cross with him, so I probably threw it out the window. Oh, yeah. But um, I say probably, that is what happened. I should probably mm-hmm. fess up. You know, and I had a cousin who used to suck his uh, finger and walk around with a pair of pants. You know, we all oh, got these yeah, sort of yeah. childhood things. Yeah. So what happens if you lose it? Why would you be so vulgar? And Sorry, okay, let's move on. I feel like I'm triggering you by every question. Every, as I delve more deeply into it, I feel you like retreating. <laughs> but I want to be grateful for it because despite the fact that it does uh, connote, you know, a, a partial problem in, in that, um, you know, it, it isn't a healthy thing to be connected to an object so powerfully, I think. Mm-hmm. At the same time, when I have it close to me, and usually I wear it because I wear the same suit nearly all the time, um, I'm the gay that style forgot. I have it in my left breast pocket near my heart, and it's been all sorts of moments, usually moments of joy or where I felt that I've contributed something good. So to that extent, even though I know that it isn't necessarily, sorry, let me put that again, I know for sure it's not a healthy connection. It's nevertheless gifted me some beautiful things. I actually love that. And if you believe we're all energy, then maybe there is a magical element to that little hairbrush. Mm-hmm. I'm yeah. into it. Well, I'm sort of into it too, but it, the difficulty well, 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 is... clearly. <laughs> I have to keep it... I mean, normally keep this stuff privately. I mean, you, you use energy no. or I might use the word faith. And, yeah, you know, exactly. No doubt we'll, We'll delve deep into that, but I, yeah. it, it's so profoundly personal because it interferes with all of my kind of feelings of science and logic. And yet, Angela, the number of times I've been, especially in the last few years, presence, inexplicable kind of moments of human connection, mm-hmm. which, you know, are driving me inexorably closer to this complex delightful beautiful idea that there's more to human existence than the pure banality of science and it's really frustrating i tell you yeah but i think lean in because that is the truth of it the like mystic it's everywhere and we're resisting it or we don't believe it until we can um you know prove it but there's such arrogance in that you know sure. to assume that we know it, we know more how do we land here you know, some something's happened. We don't know everything. We didn't organise all this. I couldn't agree with you more. The, I, I think, look, God, I mean, you know, this is a history of the Enlightenment. How long have we got? Mm-hmm. You know, I really do think, you know, get comfortable in your bar. Yeah. I think the answer is that um, because these ideas about soul and spirit have been institutionally bound up, 
Agreed. So they've become connected with global religion. And that, for many people, is problematic, not for everybody. Mm-hmm. And so faith gets curated or organized, excuse me, gets explained, held in the form of churches, synagogues, mosques. And that, of course, bearing in mind, has grown up alongside societies and it's connected to power and parents and all these sort of complex control. things. which And control, exactly. Mm. And so it's very difficult, challenging to clear your own path to having a connection with faith, spirituality, or the divine, if you like, um, without it neatly fitting or it requiring to fit into some um, religious practice. Mm -hmm. Now, for me, my Judaism is really important, but the spiritual moments that I've had in the last 20 years, three or four of them, especially, um, are completely universal. And, you know, as I sit here talking to you, thinking about those examples, I am as confident I can be that there is something more in human connection than simply our molecules. Rob, what is the advice that you're most thankful uh, for? Oh, blooming heck, I get advice all the time. My mum's advice, which is, um, despite how much talking I've done so far, actually what she always said to me is, Rob, and she used to say it in business as well, but a brilliant single mum who's aggravatingly mindful, annoyingly emotionally open, breathtakingly, depressingly, culturally um, broad in her thinking. I say all those things because she's deprived me of a good four chapters of an autobiography of pain, you know. <laughs> you know, everyone else has got something. They're more balanced oh, than most I just wanted to be sent to boarding school. You know, so when I wrote, I, I went to tell her I was getting divorced, she stopped and paused and went, how can I be mindful in this conversation? I was like, throw something. Oh my God. You know what I mean? I need a bit of drama. But, yeah, you know, but you still she, have your brush, so something went wrong along the way. Thank you. I've got something to talk to my therapist about. <laughs> um, but she used to say, is a saying of hers, and, it, and it's one that hasn't disappeared or been muted over the years, which is you've got two ears and one gob for a reason. Oh. And that's unbelievable advice. And it's about hearing, not listening. Mm, you know, I, I, I can often because of my old work you know I could be listening to what was happening behind me with a junior or a solicitor and also be listening to the witness and the jury and the judge all at the same time like yeah or like different kind of instruments in an orchestra hearing is different hearing is harder hearing is difficult so when somebody tells you something that is painful or happy especially when it's happy that you've actually heard it before you've spoken and sometimes we talk quickly because we don't want to hear. But hearing is the beginning of everything. It's the beginning of healing. You know, in the work that I used to do and still do to an extent, sitting in arbitrations, especially where you've had toxic family disputes or breakdowns, often, nearly always, it's never about the subject matter, perhaps of the legal issue at hand. The starting point for a conversation is hearing, sitting still while somebody tells you the difficult truths of their pain hard stuff but my mum was always right about it 
terms of the quality of your relationships, in terms of the human being you can be in the world. Knowing you've got two ears and one gob for a reason, I think can be of enduring value. And and it's visual as well, isn't it? You're like, okay, because I think we're told to to talk less, listen more, but you're like, oh, it really drums at home. Double the time with your mouth shut. I need to yeah, but d- don't be you'll be well. Don't be confused. Sometimes be careful sometimes you think people who are talking a lot aren't necessarily hearing mm, that's true it's not necessarily and and, o- and 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 often they are yeah. what it means is is that are you are you cognizant are you actually taking in what's being said around you mm. hard it's hard work yeah you know you said listening or hearing hearing is better but hearing when you're Different. happy especially when you're happy. Why is that more, why is that difficult? That's the most important thing. You know, I I say this to all of my young goddaughters, peace be upon them, each one is equally fabulous as the next because it's a barometer of the human being you are as a friend and so consequently as the family that people choose to be in their immediate orbit, you know, the little... Mm -hmm. You know, we as we swim along in the sea, the bits of the islands that we go to or the, you know, the safety rings or whatever they're called, you know, you hold yeah. on all your friendships. And I think for too long, we've kind of rather, I think, uh, disproportionately focused on friendships which are about security or another way of putting it, you know, the old fashioned barometer of who a good friend is, is the person that would be there for me in the middle of the night. Or if something went wrong, I would phone Dave or whatever. And you think, well, all right, love, but if you break your leg, the emergency services would also be there. And yes, of course, if you really needed someone, uh, your friend would be there. That's implied. I mean, that just comes with the friend territory, right? That's not the hard bit. Also, there is a particular type of person that rather likes being Mm -mm. embroiled toxically in your problematic drama and often they uh, don't like it unless they're first to be called right yeah you know because they want top billing in your horror you know and are slightly delighted yeah by uh uh, where you're sitting in the context of the world vis-a-vis them that's not the stuff so the hearing and joy matters more because who your friends are is not determined exclusively by who'll be there that comes of course that's an obvious that's a duh the hard part is when something joyous happens who in your phone or who in your world can you not wait to tell because they're going to celebrate and delight alongside you they're not going to tell you something good that happened to them or oh yeah that happened or when you've met someone joyous they're not going to tell you oh yeah I know that person better Mm It not only doesn't feel competitive, it feels that they cannot wait to be at your party celebrating inclusively in your delight. That's the stuff of friendship. Whenever I'm with my goddess, I was like, look out for those people. Those are your humans. You might get the odd flighty one that is a bit rubbish when it comes to being in the middle of the night holding your hair back when you're sick. But if she's a person that goes, OMG, look, uh, God, daughter, I can't believe you got that job. You're freaking awesome. Cling on to that human. She's the one. It's called it's called compersion, 
And it's so because I, I wrote about this before. It's called compersion. And it's basically defined as wholehearted participation in the happiness of others. And I think you're absolutely bang on that so often we think, oh, friends, the best friends are the ones, like you say, who you call in the middle of the night. I think there is something. But also it's such a selfish thing if you can manage to touch on it to the, the joy that you actually can get from somebody else's joy is is of a very pure kind and it's a real um galvanizing shared moment and I think yeah in the giving and the receiving is is quite something right I just you've just made me think of it now genuinely like um I just got a new a tattoo and the word is simcha <laughs> Yeah, people are often surprised when I have such tattoos. Yes, yeah, same. Well, oh, now, where no. is it? Can you show us? It's on my arm. I can't show it to you, love. Okay. No, thank you. No, I'm. I'm okay. I, it's so weird because I look so incongruous. You know, as I say, yeah. I sort of, I look like I've been decorated by a librarian today, which is always what I go for. You look polished. And well, chic. I do, no, I'm polished. I spend my time in libraries. That's why I look like a librarian. <laughs> um, anyway, um, this this tattoo and and the word is simcha. And uh, Simcha in in Hebrew and its roots are about celebration, but way, way, way more. Just to give you a very short idea of it, which is that when you're mourning in Judaism, when somebody dies, you know, there's a period where you're not supposed to uh, go to a Simcha, a celebration, so a wedding or a bar mitzvah or a party or a concert. And the reason that is because it conscripts you for a short period of time or an extended period of time if you're a, a child, to reflect on that person, both as an outward and an inward expression of your relationship of grief. There's a, an element of respect involved in that. We don't mm-hmm. celebrate whilst this we're living in grief and memory of that person, unless you've pre-booked a party, in which case all bets are off. Not really? only 100%. And by the way, that's across the board in every kind of expression of Judaism, from the most orthodox to the most reformed. They all buy into this because there are so few opportunities for joy. Yeah. You never cancel joy, right? Never cancel a party. Any friends of mine go, I'm thinking of having a party. Go, do it. Yeah. Right? Go. Do it now. Yeah. And isn't it weird? Again, the, thing, the reflection I just had just made me think of that moment as I was thinking about my tattoo. I feel, isn't it interesting? I, I've genuinely never thought about it before. This moment, Angela, but you know the crying you do at a funeral or a tragic moment or even a sad film or something that's triggered by sadness, as opposed to the crying you do at your friend's wedding. Yeah. It's so different in its force and, and complexion. chemically different, Rob. They're really? studying. They're studying the release of tears, the different ways, the the oh. different components, and that actually tears. And they're looking at how there's a, a depression is more likely in people whose tear ducts have not opened. Like the actual oh. release and the different makeup. If you look at tears under a microscope, happy tears versus sad tears versus oh. fearful tears are wildly different it's quite wow Mm, i'm gonna send you send me that stuff yeah yeah it's gorgeous i love a bit of that yeah that's really you know it's really interesting because i I, it's just i I never thought about that before but it's so true it's so true it's so true okay is there a thank fuck for that you know so many of my things i can't say you know because they're about thank fuck i got out of this relationship or thank fuck my mum made that choice 
in her life that enabled me to do this. But the difficulty is... I can't say those things without hurting individual people, mm-hmm. but they are all big fag ducks and yeah. they're all about the universe conspiring to enable me and assist me in some way. You know, I've got so many thank fucks for the decisions and choices that my mum made that, you know, there's a list that would go on and everybody would be in a coma by the end of it. But um, I'm going to say thank fuck for the choices that I've made in friends. Mm, love that your found family yeah that's so great is there a thank god no one knows Rob uh yeah of course there is anybody that doesn't have that I mean can't possibly be connected I think I'd be really surprised you know if, if, if anybody that doesn't walk around with some dark recess in them that they can't share Mm-hmm. I mean, recently, it's only recently I've been able to talk about the weird superstition I have with the, gro- <laughs> with the ropey hairbrush because I'm so embarrassed and ashamed by Well, it. I'm glad that we've brought so, that out in the open. Yeah, yeah. Thank fuck nobody knows. Um, the other night I went to um, an awards event, not the National TV Awards, and a lot of the time, you know, despite everything, I feel really um, unattractive to the world. And that's not about comparing and looking at other people, by the way. I go, oh, you're so beautiful that I'm not. I'm delighted by all of the beauty in all of its forms around me. I live for it, you know what I mean? In every shape and size and especially where it's owned. I mean, that's why, don't get me onto it, my editor wouldn't publish the um, article I wrote recently about why Lizzo was one of the most important artists since Michelangelo because she said it was pretentious. Anyway, let's part that for a second. Anyway... <laughs> I'm into that. I'll stand yeah, behind whatever. it. The, the, the point is not that. The point is about, I, I need to emphasise, I don't look at myself and compare it to anything else. It's just my yeah. own feeling. All of which, of course, is externally informed. But a lot of the time, you know, and I'll share this with you, I, I, I walk into the world feeling quite, I suppose, ugly, really. It's a nice way to describe it. Yeah, but that's all right. It'll change. And sometimes I don't and sometimes I do. But I mean, it's so, I mean, look, and it's it's silly for me to say that's so not true. And obviously it's, you know, if that's a, because I think you're glorious. I think you're glorious too. But, you know, anybody that will tell you, you know, in my case, it's reached a stage of anything too troublingly disordered. And I'm not doing anything to sort of remedy it. But, you know, just like anybody that might have disordered eating or Mm -hmm. whatever, you know, one of the things that, people around them who provide that particular individual with a loving space struggle with often it's true of addiction as well is that the external things you say the objective truths that you might give them aren't helpful they have to come to their own conclusions themselves and I think in my world or my the things that are affecting me being really honest is it is part of the reason that I find it very difficult to kind of find an intimate loving relationship with somebody you know, the idea that, you know, trusting somebody that could love me in that way is really hard to believe. I could love plenty of people, do you know what I mean? Yeah, as yeah. long as, and, and, and genuinely, they are never aesthetic. You know, I mean, I, I'm literally delighted by, I, I generally don't, often don't see um, sort of physical form until somebody's spoken. 
I mean, I will, that's a nonsense, but, you know, people very quickly become quite literally ugly before my eyes and they may have all of the outward vestiges of social beauty. As soon as they start speaking about something which is deeply shallow, and I don't mean cars or stuff. If they talk about that with authentic enthusiasm, I mean, yeah, I've just, you know what it's like. You know, you meet yeah. somebody who seems really like fabulous looking. Like, oh, you know, look how beautiful they are in all of the ways that society informs what beauty is. Then they open their gobs and you're like, oh, blimmin' egg. It's a bit hollow. Not a bit hollow. You can, you can feel people becoming ugly before your eyes. Yeah. And the converse is true. I interview Miriam Margulies. Um, ah, stop. I mean, I can't even. It was extraordinary. I Such guess. a, it was a proper moment. I yeah. mean, that was, she was doing her book tour. We sold out the Lowry. And at the end of uh, both halves, she did uh, a monologue from Dickens. And I couldn't move being in the presence of her presence. It was mm staggering and she was extraordinary she's captivating though isn't she in her like and I think it's an authenticity thing and I think totally you real. have that in spades it's totally like actually real. none of no she's more than me she's more she 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 really is but we went for this dinner afterwards and there was a woman sitting in the corner and uh I'm obsessed with the Mitfords but, but you know uh have a look at them all bonkers but you know 1920s uh socialites who went on to right. do extraordinary things. Two of them became fascists. One of them, my her- my hero, uh, Jessica Mitford, uh, uh, ran to the oh, Civil War wow. with her, her, left home with her lover, and then went lived in America and became a civil rights activist. And my absolute hero, and the whole family I'm kind of obsessed with in all sorts of ways. Oh, they are quite extraordinary, aren't they? Right. They really are. And uh, the letters are wonderful and magnificent. And they speak to the love between sisters, even where politics gets in the way and lots of no. stuff. Have a look. Okay. There was this woman in the corner who, who who wasn't really kind of saying anything until I sort of start spoke, speaking about the Mitfords. And then she just sort of came to life in front of me. And it was like being in the presence of something so beautiful. Mm. Passion. It's great when that happens, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, and I think you're absolutely right. It doesn't matter whether it's makeup or cars or history, whatever it is. Oh, it's I don't like, care. Yeah, well, okay, I mean, this is like an aside, but ro- I hosted Robot Wars. I mean, that's not necessarily a natural home for me. People are like, were you into tech? No, clearly, as you know from our initial podcast situation, tech is not my forte. However, I was like, I was distraught when that show was cancelled because when in the middle of that warehouse in Glasgow were these bunch of people who were so extraordinarily passionate and obsessed with these objects that they built and spent hours with and connected with and it was just beautiful to me and it was like a mucky greasy I was in a boiler suit but it's so actually it doesn't happen that often and I just thought it's so wonderful to see this amount of people this wildly passionate about a thing and get to share it with each other it's just yeah it's authentic enthusiasm like gardeners question type people listen to I don't know the number of people but loads of them haven't got gardens me included I mean I can't grow anything I've got like toxic thumbs but like <laughs> listening to somebody, Bob flowered you, and I just, oh, yeah. just delighting in the thing that they're delighting in. Mm, it's enough. And if they right, and if they can communicate it, either as they're able to do with such kind of 
articulate simcha, such mm. articulate joy in Garner's question, or just through the kind of geeky relationship of building the thing. That's just the stuff, right? That's Sit there all it. day with that, right? Yeah, Great. yeah, it doesn't matter what you're doing. Okay, that. finally, before I let oh, you go, yeah. the thanks that got away. It isn't one that got away, but I, look, I mean, there are so many thanks. I, I, I try to thank people. I feel so gifted to be in this so-called job of mine. It's just at the right level of niceness. Like, genuinely, love. I get people like... I mean, you know, you do these events, you must have some people go, oh, you must be so tired of smiling for selfies. I'm like, am I fuck, right? <laughs> I work yeah. 90 hours a week, right, dealing with difficult cases. I get this joy of improving the chemistry of someone's day by smiling and have a chat with you. Yeah. And it's not just about egomania, although let's not pretend there isn't a grain of that in there. Mm-hmm. It is, what a gift, right? So... I get to thank people all the time and I'm, I hope, mindful of doing that. So there are micro thank yous that I'll forget and anybody that's listening, if I haven't thank you, thank you. But the big one, and this matters, is to Mrs. Grice, who was my uh, politics teacher at Woodhouse College. And I was a fairly average student up until that point. I was about 14 or 15 maybe. And one day, in the way that she used to, in her kind of, how would you describe her, extraordinariness, you know, a teacher, the game-changing teacher that doesn't come Mm. with all the bells, whistles and charisma, just by a certain presence that this person somehow embodies an aspirational force of a human being. And she did it and wore sandals, which is very surprising for me. Um, (laughs) Show? Are we talking show? Yeah. Oh, wow. The lot. And one day she said, you know, Rob, you're really clever. Nobody had ever said that to me before. And it changed everything. It was truly, I don't like the word literally because it becomes overused, but it was truly Mm -hmm. a switch. Changed everything in my life. Uh, uh, From that moment... It was somehow like somebody turning on a light of possibility and it didn't last forever to be sure, but for the next 10 years, certainly of my life, I became invested in learning, thinking that I was entitled to it and clever enough to understand it. And as soon as somebody had raised the bar, had lifted the possibility, had generated her expectation Mm -hmm. of me to be clever, I demanded that I would reach her expectation, the thing that she had said, and everything else following on from that is detail. So thank you, Mrs. Grice. Thank you, Mrs. Grice. That's magic. You're magic. And you are very clever. I mean, I could listen to you all day long, your way with words. You're uh, you're a magician, um, and I really, really appreciate it. Yeah, but let's not overstate it, right? Because I've read yeah. a bunch of books, right? So you be careful. You know, the most moving stuff, my brother, who's the diametric opposite of me, quite, I mean, he, you know, likes football. He's the one, when I came out, thought for a second, goes, don't care what you are, just as long as you're not Arsenal, and meant it. <laughs> but, you know, when my brother speaks or has spoken, sadly, at 
let's say on one occasion at a funeral, think of one of our grandparents, he doesn't use figurative language as, as I do, you know, often and I'll be thinking, oh, that's a reference to this. And I can feel mm-hmm. the weight of, of books and poetry and, you know, Shelley's Ozymandias, you know, up my bottom and all the rest of it. And <laughs> thinking about time in that rich way. That's other people's voices, some of which you'll have heard today. I'm not borrowing from, but, you know, I can list the people who have said it better than I ever could. But my brother standing up to speak it's unaffected by any of that stuff. It's just true. Heart. And, right. And the most powerful speakers in any context or situation are the ones that stand up and speak truth without any of the flora or fauna of all of this great language. So don't be taken in just by somebody that sounds more poetic. Don't well, mean that I think you have got. I think you have got a beautiful balance of the two, because yes, there's flora and fauna, and there are beautiful references, many of which gone straight over my head. No, I don't yes. want that to be. Anything. I no, no, no. I can appreciate it, but there's also beautiful truth in how you speak so don't you know how annoying i am to my friends honestly like one of my oh, best a bit i'd say one of my You're best like, mates fucking, i haven't read that book stop making no, me feel right, like right. i'm an illiterate that is it so got really good i wish i could read out her text message she'll know who she's listening sarah hi um and she won't mind me telling her you know like a while ago i was trying to we were talking about presence and I was quoting mm. Shelley's poem Ozymandias which everybody should read they read it at school too young yeah it's a sonnet to to time it's a it's a, it's a oh well youth poem. is wasted youth is wasted on the young somebody told me once nah that's that's you know anyone could say that palaver <laughs> I mean you know that said to be honest with you that said just as articulately in that lovely film Little Miss Sunshine where Alan Arkin <laughs> who is in his 80s gets slung out slung out of his home for taking drugs. And there's this amazing moment where he looks at his kids and said, well, of course I started taking drugs when I was in my 80s. That's when you should start taking drugs. Yeah, so you know, don't, do it, don't ruin your youthhood. Do it <laughs> when you're a ger- skin. <laughs> right, do it when you're a geriatric, right? You've got a few years of like, you know, anyway. Yeah, yeah, but, okay. uh, but no, Ozzy Mad is an amazing poem where this bloke is walking across the desert and he finds this ruin and it's this deity and on the bottom, you could just make out, it says, uh, my name is Ozymandias, look upon ye mighty in despair. And then he walks off and he realises this is sort of this decaying object in the desert. But in the midst of this poem, this odd sonnet, which is usually a love poem, has this moment because that this deity whose wrinkled lip and sneer of cold command would have, now we're coming into Robert, not Shelley, would have <laughs> informed an entire civilization. So for years, a whole... World's whole human history, 5,000 years, 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 as far as the human imagination can reach, would have built buildings and civilizations and prayers and rituals and tribal allegiances according to this stone thing. Slab. Slab. And now, 5,000 years on, it's just a ruin. Mm. And it's a love poem to time because it reminds us that all of these things that seem permanent are going to disappear and you can be frightened by that and actually it can drive you to darkness or you can go hang on a minute we're only here for a brief second enjoy so let's enjoy don't cancel the party have the party never cancel the party never cancel a party i think you're absolutely right what are you doing tonight 
Uh, I am go. Uh, well, I'm, I, I've got a rich afternoon. I'm going to meet one of my friends who's decided to buy a pair of jeans in a size too small. Okay, fabulous. We all need a bit of support for that. I disagree, but that's a whole nother <laughs> podcast. Um, and then what else am I doing? I think, oh, good, good question. I'm doing, I'm writing a novel. Oh, oh wow. Tonight. No, no, I'll do that a couple of That is the genius of Rob Rinder. No, I'll do a couple of hours on that. Okay. And then I'm going out for a little bit of dinner where I shall get to the point of sweet drunkenness. That's not too bad for me to get up tomorrow morning and exercise. Beautiful. Sweet drunkenness is the best. I now have a limit. I, I call it front loading. I like a couple of cocktails on an empty stomach and then like I'm quite happy to sit back and just yeah. enjoy my food. Well, that's a lovely way of putting it. Oh, I'm good. I'm nicking that. Good to um, steal away. It's such a good thing. Yeah, oh, front-loading. Front-loading, and then you're home by nine o'clock. Nana's oh, got to yeah. go to bed. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> no, no, that's, a, that's an obs. But yeah. you know you see people like, once you've crossed that sort of movable line, Ugh. carry on trick. I mean, I suppose I did it as a student, but now I'm at the stage where I don't get it, really. Mm, I know. So you know. the odd time you need to blow the old doors off, but like, yeah. you know, <laughs> so to speak. But um, yeah, most of the time, front loading is the way forward. You are a gem. Thank you. You're a gem. Thank you. Rob Rinder, what a man. I absolutely loved chatting to him. I could have spoken to him all day long, full of wisdom and wit and wickedness, actually. We do have an extra little bit where he goes particularly philosophical. Uh, so Friday, watch out in your inbox, as they say. Thank you so much for lending me your ears this week, wherever you are in the world. And if you'd be so kind as to leave a review, well, then I'd love you forever, wouldn't I? What else? Oh, yes. Please do subscribe wherever you get your podcasts, Apple, Spotify. I'm sure there's loads more that I don't know. If you want more of me as well and some videos from this podcast, you can find me at Angela Scanlon. We're now on TikTok. Oh, TikTok. I know. Sorry, as if we don't have enough to do with our lives. Anyway, you can go on there. There's lots of stuff. Juicy stuff. Incoming. And finally, the newest little trick up my sleeve is a WhatsApp group. I know, it's a professional one, okay, so keep it clean. 073 even as we go. I haven't managed to really get into a flow with that number. 073 Five. Anyway, whatever way you want to cut it up, slice it up, remember it and send me a message. A little ditty about what you've been doing this weekend. A thank you, a message to a bygone friend. <laughs> Actually, sorry, I don't have time for passing on messages. So just like keep it nice, clean, precise, to the point. Under a minute, ideally. But you know, I'm here for a 1.5 if it needs to be that way. Thank you. Bye. What a man, what a man, what a man, what a mighty good man. Meet a rubber rinder. Thanks a Million with Angela Scanlon is a recipe production. <laughs> <laughs>